I love that Liz said this morning when um, she was just kind of setting up our, uh, our worship a little bit that we, uh, we, we weren't just here to come to church, right? Did you, did you catch that? She just reminded us this morning that we're, we're here to enter the presence of God. And it's very easy, isn't it, on something that you do every week just to think, oh, we're just, we're just coming to church. We're just stepping into a routine. But uh, Psalm 100, doesn't it, says, enter his presence with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And it's just talking about those times when we come together in a unique spot, when we're, when we're together, uh, we're coming into a miraculous situation. When we come to church, we're coming into God's presence, and then that therefore makes this whole thing supernatural. It doesn't, you know, although we can't necessarily see what God is doing, and we sing that song uh, that says, uh, even though, well, I think we're singing it at the end, even, even though I can't see it, you're working. Um, even if we can't necessarily see the manifest presence of God uh, working, doing, doing something that we can see, that we can know and we can trust that God is working. And God's been working through this uh, service this morning already, and some of these songs that we've been singing, there's been, been a line that's caught you, a line from a song that's caught your attention. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit when that grabs us and, and sort of like just kind of gives us that gentle nug or, tug on, uh, uh, nudge or tug on our heart. They're like, okay, this is for you this morning. And God's got something for each one of us today. And I want to kind of carry on in that vein a little bit as we, as we read from, um, I'm going to read from John chapter 7. And uh, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about what it might mean today for the, for the Holy Spirit to fill us in this uh, sort of theme that we've been running with, we've called Naturally Supernatural, where we know that in this natural world, we want to experience the supernatural power and presence of God. So this is, um, this is John 7, verse 37, and I'm like an old blind guy, so I'm going to read this from my iPad anyway, because um, it's here as well. There's a big old light. When are they, they going to make Bibles that have like lights that shine at you? That would be great. It's all the same stuff. So uh, John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood up and shouted out to the crowds, All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your inmost being, just like the Scripture says. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was talking to everyone who believed and said, if you're thirsty, come because I've got something for you. Um, I, I, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to be like a river, a river of water flowing from the inside. And it seems like there's this pattern throughout the scriptures that God wants to bring something from the inside of us. It's like it's, it changes in our heart first and then something bursts forth. And I, I don't know how you felt this morning. You got up, you had an extra hour, but you got up, you just kind of came here. Um, and it, you may or may not have felt like there's this spring of living water bursting out of you. But, but he says, Jesus says, to whoever believes in me, something supernatural is supposed to take place. The Spirit is supposed to flow out of us from the inside out. And, and, and then it goes on in verse 39. Uh, it carries on and it says, Jesus was prophesying, he's speaking forward about the Holy Spirit that believers were being prepared to receive. Because Jesus was preparing his followers at that time to receive the Holy Spirit who was soon to come. He says, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on them because Jesus had not been unveiled in his full splendor. 
Okay, that's a kind of interesting thing right there. It's talking, it's saying the Holy Spirit, at a, a certain level, even though we've seen uh, instances in this, up to this point where like Jesus sent his disciples out in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying to them again, it's like something more is coming. There's something about this spring of, the, of living water, this Holy Spirit that's, that's going to that's gonna be, that's gonna come out of you that has not yet come. There's something more to come. And it says, why is it not yet coming? It says, because Jesus had not yet been unveiled in his full splendor. Some other, some other uh, translations said that Jesus had not yet been glorified. And what that means, this kind of passage is talking about Jesus had not been yet unveiled in his full splendor, meaning he hadn't suffered the death, the, the torture, the death, and the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension that he was going to experience in the coming days. And this is just days before uh, Jesus starts to experience that. And in John 17, a little bit further on, Jesus prays. He says, glorify your son himself so that the son can then glorify you. And he's saying, Jesus, uh, he's saying Father God, will you, will you uh, complete this process of me going through these final days and, and then eventually ascension into heaven? Will you complete this process that you're working in me so that the Holy Spirit can come? And we don't, like, I don't know if you totally understand that. Like, why was Jesus saying, well, the Holy Spirit can't come until I've been glorified? But it's one of those things we just might have to trust Him with, right? Like, for some reason, Jesus was saying, unless I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit can't come. And you can't experience the, the power of the third person of the Trinity until I'm, uh, like, unveiled in my full splendor, i.e. I'm glorified or I go back to uh, ascend into heaven. And so something about the Spirit's power hadn't come until after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so, but he says, when I do, by that time, when, when it comes, there'll be springs of living water that will that, be coming out of you. Who wants that, right? Like that sounds awesome, doesn't it? That we can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives in a way that even those 11, those, those 11 or 12 disciples of Jesus couldn't experience back then. And that, like, I, I, I'm kind of in and out of my experience with God. Like, I have days where I'm, okay, honestly here, I know you think I'm like, I have a cape and I live on a cloud. But like, there's, there's days when I don't experience the presence of God in my life. But as we talked about last week, God wants to manifest His presence in our hearts more and more so that we experience Him, not just know Him or know about Him, as Liz was saying earlier, but that we experience God on a day-to-day -day basis. That's God's desire for us. It's God's desire for you if you're like, I just got here, barely sure that I'm a Christian. I want to tell you, don't, don't wait for something that God wants to give you. Okay, so like as we read today, we're reading chapters out of the Bible. This isn't like the book of Colin or anything like that. This is, we're reading from the scriptures. We're reading the fullness of what, what God has for us. So I want to read another passage of Scripture that kind of like goes on from this a little bit later, Acts chapter 19. If you're somebody that brings your Bible with you or you want to open up your app and scroll down to that, find that so you know I'm not making this stuff up. Or you can, you can watch this here on the screen here. But Acts chapter 19, Paul is after Jesus has been glorified. He goes to the city of Ephesus, one of the places where Paul starts one of the churches that, were, that he would that later write letters to that have become part of the New Testament. Paul goes to the city of Ephesus, and it says this in verse 1, While Apollos was ministering in Corinth, Paul traveled on through the regions of Turkey until he arrived in Ephesus, 
where he found a group of 12 followers of Jesus. Now listen, pay attention to that, underline that for a second. He found a group of 12 followers of Jesus. Some translations say he found 12 disciples. The first thing he asked them was this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they're like, no, they replied. We've not even heard of a Holy Spirit. So these, these people are known as disciples, they're known as followers of Jesus, but their understanding and their experience is limited. Like, get that. Like, they, they haven't even understood the fact that, yeah, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus left, and yet he sent the Holy Spirit to be with you all. And, and Paul's like, well, um, Paul asked, then, then what was the meaning of your baptism? It's in verse 3. It says, they responded, well, it meant that we would follow John's teaching. And Paul said, John's baptism was for those who were turning from their sins, and he taught you to believe in and follow the one who was coming after him, Jesus, the anointed one. It says, verse 5, when they understood this, they were baptized into the authority of Jesus, uh, the anointed one. In verse 6 and 7, it says, And when Paul laid his hands on each of the twelve, the Holy Spirit manifested, and they immediately spoke in tongues and prophesied. All right, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in those, in those few verses right here. So, so these, these twelve disciples, this isn't the twelve disciples, right? these twelve followers of Jesus, um, they, they don't know much still, right? They didn't even know about Jesus' baptism. They'd been baptized into John's baptism. Um, and so Paul then baptizes them into the name of Jesus. And he says, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, well, we, didn't, we don't even know what that is. But like, that's, that's complete news to us. And then he lays hands on them and he prays for them and they start speaking in tongues. They start speaking in, in, uh, in heavenly languages uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they start prophesying. They start speaking forth truths about God, bringing encouragement, bringing uh, faith, bringing something that they could never have known before, bringing a, a, a word of comfort. We're going to talk a bit about what, what prophecy is next week and what that could mean for us today. It says, and then Paul is, lays his hands on them, and there's often something in Scripture about laying hands on people uh, in terms of imparting a gift to somebody. And so I think there's probably a COVID way we can do that, you know, rather than, you know, like, like face-to-face sort of thing. But, but there's, a, there's definitely an inference here in Scripture that Paul lays his hands on them, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in tongues, and they start prophesying. Now, this isn't like an exclusive thing that happens every time, but it, it does seem like there's a, there's a pattern through Scripture that, that when people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's what happened. For me, I, I never started, I remember starting to speak in tongues, speaking in a different language. I didn't start prophesying at that moment or speaking out the words of God at that point in time, but, but a similar kind of thing happened to me. And it seems like there's this, uh, there's this visible, noticeable, change that comes upon us when we receive the full gift of the Holy Spirit and when we pray for the Holy Spirit to touch us. Now, some of you are like, well, didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I believed in Jesus? And, and, I, think the, and I know the answer is yes. There's, I want to say this. There's no such thing as a believer who doesn't in one level have the Holy Spirit in them. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. But, uh, right at the, uh, 
at the beginning of the church when Peter was preaching in the book of Acts. Uh, he, he called out to the crowd and, and the, the disciples have just received the Holy Spirit for the first time. And in Acts 2.37, he, he preached and it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call right down to the year 2021 and beyond, okay? So like, there's no, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says that you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So, so if you've, if you've uh, laid your life down to Jesus Christ, there is a measure of the Holy Spirit that is given to you at that point. But as Scripture seems to infer, like really clearly through the book of Acts and through the, the letters that Paul and the other apostles wrote, that God wants to continually fill you and fill you and fill you over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit's impact in your life, you can't do nothing. You, you can do nothing. Sorry, that was just bad English. But you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit's power in your life. And in fact, Ephesians 5.18 says this, don't get drunk on wine. Okay, that might be a message to some of you specifically, but we'll see, that's not the point of the passage. But don't get drunk on wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness uh, of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I got a different uh, translation of that here. It says, uh, don't get drunk on wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? We'll leave that verse up there for a second. Um, the, 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 the language that this is written in, which talks about fillness, uh, fullness, is actually talking about be, be continually filled, as if, as if the, the, the kind of present continuous tense is inferred. Be, be being filled. Be filled and be filled and be filled again with God's Spirit. And so this isn't like a one, a one and done experience. God's plan and desire for us is that we should want and desire the Holy Spirit to come into our lives every day and fill us more and more. Because with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can truly live the, 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 the power and the presence-infused Christian life that God wants every follower of His to experience. How many want that today, right? You want to live in the experience and the awareness of God's presence flowing out of us like a river. I kind of love, love how it, it, it compares this with drunkenness. And if, if you're looking for questions as to whether, whether drunkenness is okay, like, as I said, that wasn't the point necessarily of this passage, but I think it's pretty clear, right? So, like, the Bible says, stay away from addictions like drunkenness. Stay away from addictions. Don't let anything impact your inside Accept the power of the Spirit. Be, 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 uh, be only impacted in that way by the, the Spirit. But in the same way, if you're going to get drunk, you're like, if, you, if you just like, drink yourself silly, and I don't know a lot about that, but you'll be glad to know. But like, if you just drink yourself silly, it's not like, oh, I'll get drunk. I'm going to stay drunk forever. This is awesome. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to be impacted by that forever. Pretty soon, 
you need to come back and get some more booze inside you, right? If you want to get drunk again. And Paul's using this illustration to let you know, don't get drunk and drunk on wine, which is, that's rebellion against God. But he's reminding you in a similar way, be continually filled. You see what it's saying there? Be filled and then be filled over and over again. Now, if this sounds like, oh, what's going to happen to me or something like that, don't forget the most incredible, overwhelming spiritual thing has already happened to you if you follow Jesus. All right, this, all the rest is just like sugar on top. I mean, I like sugar, but like the most amazing thing, the most supernatural thing has already taken place in your life if you follow Christ. And that is that somebody who was alive or somebody who died then became alive and ascended into heaven and he has filled your heart with his presence. All right, don't see your salvation as something that you did that you made it happen. I'm telling you, it's something that God has done miraculously in your life. He hasn't like, you know, made bad people good. He's made dead people alive, okay? And your, your deadness has come alive because of the supernatural impact of God in your life. Who, who's happy about that, right? We're good with that, right? But he wants, come on, he wants more for you, right? And he wants you to continually ask for a filling and a refilling and a refilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, uh, not a one-time experience um, like, like being drunk, but you're not going to experience God's Spirit once for the rest of your life. He wants to complete filling you again. Now, I think back to, uh, we, we set up here this morning after 7 o'clock, the team that came this morning did a phenomenal job. If you want to join that team that sets up, um, uh, just let us know. We'd love to have you be a part of our uh, set up and tear down team. But when we came in, like this place is awesome. You like you walk in that first door. I don't know if you experienced that. It was like it's like 15 degrees warmer, isn't it? When you walk in that first door between those two middle doors there, and you're like, oh, this is toasty, right? On a cold day like this. And then let me tell you this: we came in here, and it was it was like back to being outdoors again. It was freezing in this room, and in fact, the the air was blowing, um, but the uh, the whatever, like the furnace, the pilot light or something was going out. It wasn't firing up um, because, uh, you know, the, 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 the fan was working, but there was no, there was no heat at all, right? And so, and, and, and like, I've experienced this before. I remember the first, my first, our first house was back in Michigan. The, the, it was windy. It shouldn't be windy in your basement, right? Something's wrong. But, like, the, it was windy down there. And on the, the, the water heater, the, there's that little pilot light that's just, like, on all the time. Somehow that thing had gone out. And so, like, I was young and dumber. And, uh, like, I, I'm like, well, I got to light this thing. I didn't have any matches. I didn't have one of those... Um, uh, lighter sticks, things to light it with. It wasn't that hard a word, really, was it? But I didn't have one of those, couldn't light it. So I'm like, okay, upstairs, gas stove. So I go upstairs, gas stove, roll up a piece of newspaper, put it on the gas, because that's got one of those clickers, run down the stairs with this rolled-up newspaper, and then I'm, I'm by the, the, the bottom of the water heater, and I shove this rolled-up newspaper in there, and I press the, the holding that button down to light the pilot, because i got to light my pilot light, like by which time this thing's like nearly burning my hand off. Finally, I got the pilot light lit, and I don't recommend any of that. I was like, just a hair's breadth from blowing up myself or my house or something probably, but there's better ways to, to get the pilot light lit. But we all experience these pilot lights, right? You've got one, you might have one on your furnace if you, if you have a, a, a gas furnace or a water heater. And if the pilot light goes out, you're in trouble. Um, but there's a pilot light, but there's also that moment when somebody adjusts the thermostat 
right, on your, on, for, for your heat and, and turns the thermostat to the point where the heat comes on and where there was once a pilot light, suddenly there's a, right, and there's like enough fire and enough power that can warm the entire house and can change the experience of everyone who's in the house. And uh, Nicky Gumbel talks about uh, the, the experience of some Christians. He says, there's a lot of pilot-like Christians out there. There's a lot, a lot of us who have that, that little flame, that little tiny flame, which can be barely seen. Or I mean, it's there. We've been saved. We're, we've got the flame of God in our lives but the whole time. God wants us to have, God, like, someone's got to turn that thermostat so that there's this <laughs> taking place. I don't know how to spell that or anything in my, but, like, God doesn't want pilot like Christians. He wants <laughs> Christians that are filled and filled every day, filled with the Spirit. And even in, in continuing uh, with that, that uh, Ephesians 518, 5.18, it, it, it says, don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it carries on, and it says right after that, uh, and, and your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord Jehovah. Keep, sing, keep speaking to each other with words of Scripture, singing the Psalms with praises and spontaneous songs that are given by the Spirit. You know, it's not totally clear, like, w- the way that's written, whether, whether it's the, the Holy Spirit comes into you and then you sing the songs or you sing the songs and then the Holy Spirit uh, c- comes into you. But there, there just seems to be these, th- these things we can do which will, which will almost encourage the move of the Spirit in our lives if worship isn't a priority for you. If, if worshiping God in your life is something, well, I just do that between the, hour, between the hours of 10.30 and 10.45 on a Sunday morning and then maybe for a few minutes. But then the rest of the week, there's, there's no experience of worship in your life. There's no experience of encouraging, of, of strengthening those around you with psalms. What does it say here? With psalms and with songs, with spontaneous songs of the Spirit. Then, then I feel like we're missing something. There's something about the encouragement and the strengthening that comes when we sing and when we, we sing out, we speak out the truth of the Word of God. That's why I said earlier this morning, maybe there's one word or one phrase that caught you as we were worshiping. And it's in the singing and in the worship when you speak it out. In fact, let me, let me do this. Micah, um, come here, buddy. Um, uh, I picked him up at 10 o'clock this morning. He's coming up. He didn't know I was going to do this, did you? You don't know what I'm going to do this stuff. <laughs> He's like, what is going to happen? But and on the way down, like, Mike is a, um, an information nerd, a little bit like me. And on the way to school here, uh, on the way to church, sorry. On the way to church, he says to me, uh, Dad, you know, uh, can you name every, every um, what did you say, every, every country in South America? And so I'm like, okay, there's Brazil and Chile. I, I know, like, four of them. And then he says, what did you say? Like, so go. Uh, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, uh, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, too. All right, so, and it goes on, right? Sit down. Sorry, just give him a round of applause because he's never going to forgive me for that. But like, so there's like another like 15 more countries or something that, that I, we didn't get to. But what did you, what did you catch then? 
What, did you, what, was, what was different? What was noticeable about that? It was a song, right? And it's just some, some song that helps you memorize uh, what it is that you're trying to remember. I'm telling you, when we come to worship, the reason why we, see, the reason why we repeat songs is because I want you singing them all week. Something about the, the, the power of singing and, I'm sorry, about singing and speaking out Scripture will get inside your heart. And it just, it's almost an encouragement for the Spirit to come out of you. And it should be a result of the Spirit in you as well. All right. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what we can experience in terms of what the Bible calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that God wants to gift all of us with, with expressions of His Spirit in our lives. And we listed off those, some of those gifts uh, that, that are called gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, extreme moments of faith that God wants to give us. The power to do miracles and healing through the Scripture. Some of us, seems, this seems to be like mind equals blown moments. We seem to think that this is too big for us. Like, I just wanted to come to church and do my Jesus thing. God wants to give us so much more than we haven't experienced yet. All right, we talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Romans 6 continues. It's, it's kind of got another little bit of a list of gifts of the Spirit. And it says, it says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Now, I'm going to pause here for just one second because it's very easy for us to think that prophesying is this extremely spiritual gift, right? That is nothing but like a, it's like God speaking through somebody to bring God's word to, to a group of people, to somebody else. Um, but that prophecy and serving are right next to each other. And we could easily think, well, serving, I'll, I'll go for that one because I can figure out how, how to do that. When really God is saying, like, th these are all spiritual gifts. Right? If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And, and God might have emphasized different ones of these gifts in your life. And if not, I know that there are gifts that God wants to emphasize in your life that you bring. And you start to think, I think God speaks to me to bring spiritual encouragement to others, that He wants me to bring encouragement. That, that it says, if it is giving, carries on. If your gift is giving, then give generously. You know, and outside of those of us who give faithfully on a regular basis, uh, uh, well, keep the going to the next one. If it, is, if it is giving, then give generously. That God has those who, who just have the gift of giving. And they, they just, it doesn't matter whether they're buying somebody a box of chocolates or they're giving extravagantly to people in need or extravagantly to the church. They just have this, this gift of giving. It's not necessarily about how much you earn. It's about this desire that God has put in you, a spiritual gift that he's put in you that you want to give and you want to give generously. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We need people in the church who are leaders. We need people in the church who their gift of the Spirit is to be merciful and compassionate to those around us. 
I'll keep reading here because this is some fun stuff. First Peter 4 says, uh, for example, uh, it, um, I don't have this one, I don't think, um, uh, Web, but, but uh, 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 Peter wrote, says, for example, if you have a speaking gift, then speak as though God was speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it passionately with the strength that God gives you. We don't serve out of our own strength. We give, we serve out of the strength and the ability and the, the passion that God gives us. It says, so that in everything alone, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. So the, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that God wants to fill every single one of us with the Holy Spirit. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says that he gives the Holy Spirit for the common good. He gives individuals like us gifts of the Spirit for the common good. That means for everyone's benefit, so that everyone can be blessed, so that everyone can benefit from, this, from the church being filled with individuals using their God-given spiritual gifts. Wouldn't it be great if as a community, every single one of us knew the areas where God had gifted us. And we were like, I'm going to serve my brothers and sisters. I'm going to serve the world according to the way I know God's gifted me. I'm going to use what God's put in me. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be like um, shy about sharing what my giftedness is. I'm going to, I'm going to check it off with those around me. I'm going to discover, is this what God's building me? Is this where I have a, a spiritual gift? And, and maybe ask others around you if they see it in you. And we've got some, actually some spiritual gifts uh, inventories that we probably bring to you at some point. There's a way that to, to God wants to fill us and fill us and fill us again with his Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you to live in that posture where you're asking God, God, will you fill me today with your spirit? When you pray for one another, when you pray for someone, pray. Just don't just pray that they have a blessed day. Pray, God, will you fill this person, this person that's dear to me in my life, maybe one of my kids or my spouse or, my, or, or you or whoever you're praying for, will you fill that person with your spirit? Will you, for their life, will you let their life be a life where there's nothing but a spring of living water coming out from the inside of them? What, isn't that an incredible way to pray, to ask that for somebody else, to ask that God does that in somebody else's life? Like, well, is God really going to answer that prayer? Does God really care that much? Let me, let me kind of uh, sort of wrap it up with one, one passage of Scripture. This is from Luke 11. It's Jesus talking again. It says, Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. We've all been there, right? Uh, I love how the Bible's written. Do you know what I mean? During a time when that would be necessary. Uh, a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. So like this could happen, right? You could get a phone call from somebody that was coming into town. They're like, I'm coming to see you. I'm arriving at Logan. I'm getting an Uber. I'll be at your house at like 6 p.m. for dinner. Well, 6 p.m. passes. They don't show up. Plane's delayed. Must be American Airlines or something. They're canceling flights. Who knows? Everything's going wrong. And like it's, it's gone midnight. All the food's gone. Um, and they're going to be arriving, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's done. Like, stop and shop in Bedford is closed. Wegmans closes at midnight. I'm in trouble. Like, you go back, knock on the neighbor's door. If it was my neighbors coming and knocking on my door, Pavlo and Mila across the street, they're Ukrainian friends of ours, and they give us green peppers, and we give them eggs, and uh, we do this trade, but we don't do anything with bread. But if they come to my house and knock on the door, it's like midnight. They're like, lend me three loaves of bread. So here's what happens. So, like, 
and, and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. These are promises from Jesus, right? Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who seeks, uh, what does it say? Everyone, I've lost it. Help me. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. All right? So Jesus is promising us again, if you ask, you will receive. He wants us to receive the rivers of living water in coming out of us that are going to make people go, what's different about you? Something's different about you. And like, this passage continues. It says, verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, again, this is kind of like, my son's never asked me for a fish. But like if your son asks you for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right? Like, I mean, this, is this, like, I think I'm an okay dad. All right, no comments. But like, I think I'm an okay dad. I like to give gifts. If it's Christmas, every now and then, like we give gifts to our children, right? Like we filled Elise's car with gas the other day, right? Like no, just she just didn't ask her. It just happened. Like it was a gift. And we just, we just did it. We like to give good, good gifts for our children. And we're evil. Like the scriptures are like, though you're evil, you like to give good gifts to your children, right? If whatever you can, you like everything within you, if you have kids, you, you want to give them something. God's heart is perfect. How much more will the Holy Spirit, will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And sometimes not because of the relationship. Sometimes we, sometimes we don't even have that relationship with God where we should be asking things from Him. But it's interesting, it says in the passage of Scripture, not because of the relationship, because of your shameless audacity that you would just be willing and bold enough to go up to the door of heaven and knock and say, Father, will you fill me with your Spirit? And I'm not the greatest person at wrapping up talks. So I'm going to leave this to somebody else to wrap this talk up today. But why don't the band come up to, to lead us uh, in a few minutes' time? Uh, or come up now because we're going to sing in a few minutes' time. But um, one of somebody who I think is kind of one of America's greatest preachers at the moment is a guy by the name of Francis Chan. And uh, he talks at the end of this message about what it is to, to just to, to respond to God and ask Him for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so um, we're going to watch this, and we're just going to go right into a song of worship as we close today, and then I'll, and then I'll come up at the end. But just watch this uh, short Francis Chan video together.
A lot of you guys know Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says, look, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You guys, when the Spirit entered into me, I wanted to make disciples. Like, like it drives me crazy if I'm having no impact on people. Because the Spirit in me is like, man, you were made for this. Man, I can't just play all day. That drives me crazy. Again, it's the Holy Spirit entering into us. Man, the Bible says that, that if you really have the Spirit in you, then the Bible says that you have a gift from God. In fact, it says a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. That's why when I became a Christian, no one had to beg me to serve in the church. I read this passage, I go, man, are you telling me the Holy Spirit will possess my body and I will have a gift that will actually bless other people? Give it to me, I want this. And nowadays I'm hearing people just beg, please serve, you know, 10 minutes a week, be a greeter, you know, work in the parking lot, you know, clean a toilet or something, you know, shake people's hands, you know, fold the bulletins. It's like, really? We're begging you to manifest the Holy Spirit of God? Man, think about this. What if right now, you guys have heard of demon possession? What if right now, don't get excited about it. Yeah, okay. What, what if right now a demon took over my body and I started talking and he was controlling my actions? That would freak you out, right? you would remember my talk more than anyone else's, right? Because you go, I saw Francis possessed by a demon. You guys, so when the Holy Spirit possesses us, shouldn't be it, shouldn't it be equally as shocking? Like, where I'm going right now, I go, God, can you have your Holy Spirit manifest through me? Like where I talk and it gets into the core of your being, into your heart, and it somehow changes you because it's not another person given a bunch of words, but it's a Spirit of God manifesting through me for the common good. And the Bible says that's possible for all of us. And the church is going to be lame, literally lame, weak and crippled if you don't manifest the Holy Spirit for the common good. Man, why are pastors begging you to serve in the church? Why are they begging you to get rid of the sin in your life? Why are they begging you to get alone with God? Why are they begging you to make disciples? If the Spirit is in you, this should be your very desire. I can't live without this. I have to have this.